that's uh, wow, that's an interesting question. What drew me to music? Do you know, I've never really thought about it um, in terms of what drew me to music. Um, it seems more odd to to not be drawn to music. Uh, um, it seems, I mean, it's such a kind of fundamental. Uh, and essential part of, of who I am that I can't imagine life without it. I don't. I, I can't remember life without music. As, as uh, my earliest memories, you know, go back to when I was four. Um, I remember listening to Ken Dodd. I think my foster parents played Ken. Congratulations and celebrations. Is that Ken Dodd? You're way too young. No, 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 I do. I want the world to know how happy we can be. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I think so. You know, I can't. I, I can't remember life without music. Um, what drew me to it, uh, in terms of um, uh, it being my profession. Um, uh, anyone from Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder. Steve Wonder is a big influence. Johnny Mitchell, huge influence. Um, they were the people that that uh, showed, made me realize what you could do with uh, music with an album. Uh, how you could somehow uh, you could chronicle life through this wonderful medium called an album or a concept album. And so. As I got older, into into my late teens and early twenties, that's um, I remember uh, being really turned on by the concept of an album, of a concept. Was that like what's going on in Songs and Key of Life? And yeah, as Songs and Key of Life, um, that, that was a, a wonderful record. That was a huge, hotter than July, believe it or not. That was a that was a big, that was a big influence. Um, and my favorite album of all time. Uh, Stevie Wonder album. Actually, my favorite album of all time period is Inner Visions. So um, that was the one that really had a huge impact. That maybe that was a turning point. Cool. And and so it, I, I've I've read that in the you know in the eighties was when you first started kind of singing. Yeah, sort of professionally, sort of like you know in clubs and bars and and you you know you you joined a couple of bands. Yeah, I joined this one band called Push. They were kind of like a, uh, a Ray Groove, you know, 70s funk band, um, you know, Tower Power, that kind of thing. Um, and I joined them for a bit and followed. We, we went to Japan and did some gigs, and I ended up in Asia for the best part of a year. And, uh, um, and then I, I sang, when I, was, when I was in Asia, when I was in Thailand, I sang with a Bangkok blues band, literally singing for my supper. That was fun. Um, and uh, yeah, it really kind of started in the 80s and when I came back from Asia in, in mid-89 um, then I, uh, I, I think I was more focused um, focused not on how to kind of achieve what I was uh, aspiring towards but more focused in, in what I wanted in life um, uh, and realizing the keys to my happiness didn't necessarily lie in, in quote-unquote success or uh, certainly not commercial success of music and once I kind of came to that understanding and relaxed in that I was um, you know my destiny was pretty much carved out I think yeah you just wanted to make great music well I just wanted to be happy uh, music is is uh, you know uh, uh, 
albeit a, a, an essential part of it, a, a fundamental part of it, but not the key to it all. No, it was more kind of I, I during this time away, I had m more or less come to a realization that that um, that happiness was key, and you know, okay, in this case, it was through through music, but it didn't have to be through music. And I, and I guess I kind of re relieved the pressure. So were you putting a lot of pressure on yourself in the well, I think we do. I keen think to make, you know, keen to make it. I think when, yeah, I think we do. If we aspire towards anything, you know, but but by definition, we we apply pressure to ourselves to make whatever it is we're aspiring to, and so, um, and and that's you know, there's the, the expression "standing in your own way" comes to mind. I think that can, you know, when you put pressure on yourself, you can you can create that kind of block that obstacle where you you know you you can't get out of your own way you become single-minded and yeah and when and when you got back um to london um was it you know when did you realize that or you know think you know i'm a great singer <laughs> well i never really thought i was a great singer i still don't think i'm a great singer because i read that you asked your flatmate like do you think i'm a great singer or, or, or do you think i can sing well or something like that is that, is that a trick? Is that, is that just bullshit from the press? Uh, I can't remember saying that. It may have been true. I, it may have been true. I, I, I can't remember saying ever asking that. I, see, I wasn't. I was never really lacking in confidence that because as, for as long as I could remember, every time I opened my mouth to sing, you know, it turned heads. People always said, "Oh, you should be a singer." So I always got that. Confidence. You know, I always had that confidence and that 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 uh, encouragement from from people so it wasn't really i wasn't i never needed to have that validation no I, I i never required that that kind of validation i knew i could sing i sing well it's a, a different thing but i knew i could hold a tune because as i said as i mentioned it always kind of got attention anytime i started singing and people would always say oh you know you should do that professionally um but you know career-wise that's a different thing you know um you know, can you make it? Um, and even then, I, I, I didn't really lack any confidence. I pretty much knew what, once I made the decision, um, I was about 23 at the time, once I made the decision to, to kind of, to, to choose music as a career path, for me, it was a question of time. It wasn't really if, it was more when. Uh, yeah, it's great. You know, and, 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 and it wasn't, it wasn't kind of like an overconfidence or anything like that. When I look back on it, it wasn't anything like that. I just always knew. I knew from even from very early on because I visualized so much when I was a kid. Way back when I was in when I was eleven, I I always visualized a life like this, and you know, to the point where the one day it became reality. And so I I, I you know I remember I was doing some coaching in. In, uh, in Australia on, on, in this one TV show where I got the, this incredible opportunity to work with artists and one of the things I used to say to them you know because they, they, they say well I want to do this because I, I just want it so bad you know and I want to become you know I really want to become successful and my my you know my comments to them were, was that well everyone wants it you know, everyone will sit here and tell you they want it really bad, but but you know, wanting it and knowing it to be so are two different things. And I used to say to them, you know, stop wanting so badly and start start knowing more easily. 
just know that it is your destiny if it, if you really believe that if you because then you just get on with it and get on with the well, you, 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 you stop trying to make it happen and you start letting it happen yeah. uh, rather than trying to make it. You know, it's, it's, you can't make anything like it, certainly not in, in you can't make things like that happen. Uh, and if you do, they're, they're very seldom sustainable. It's, it's more you surrender to a knowing, to, to a kind of uh, a governing force and energy. You surrender to that and you live as though it were already and I think and that was certainly whether that was consciously or, or subconsciously I suspect the latter that was my attitude that was my approach to it all I just knew to the point when when it actually happened success or commercial success I, I was least surprised I was you know I wasn't surprised at all I was like okay great now I can get on with it yeah so what and it's so in, in, in that sense probably made you more grounded in, in dealing with it ah uh, I did I think being grounded, um, and I don't know, you know, <laughs> I don't know how how grounded I was, but I think um, being able to cope it, it w was a direct result of it happening later. I mean, my commercial success didn't happen until I was twenty-seven, and that's actually quite late for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, it's particularly nowadays. You know, I just think I I sort of done a, a relatively fair bit of of kind of living before it all, because you know, this world sure. came around. Yeah, so I was lucky, I was lucky I had you know, some wherewithal to kind of cope with it, to deal with it, because it is, you know, it can be quite harrowing, it's a, it can be quite scary. And so Killer, you know, was, was sort of the, the turning point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, do you still have really fond memories of... Yeah, great memories. So I remember, you know, Adam and myself uh, doing a kind of DJ guest appearance thing around Europe before um, Killer was a, a commercial success, with, you know, in the mainstream charts. I remember doing uh, loads of gigs like that, and they were really fond memories. And, of course, at the time, you don't, you know, you, you don't appreciate them as much as you perhaps should do. But... Uh, because you're still moving in a direction. Well, you're still moving and you're young and, you know, you know what's the expression? Young is, uh, uh, um, um, youth is wasted on the, on the young or something or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember something like that. Would you say, you know, how, how big a role or credit do you attribute to Trevor Horton in, 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 you know, in, in your early first, first record? Oh, everything. I, you know, I... I credit and attribute a lot of my success, 90% of it to Trevor. Trevor, you know, Trevor has been, <laughs> Trevor's, what I regard as, as, as being, he, he's, a, he's a great producer, but a, a real producer in that he doesn't just, you know, he doesn't just do music, he's not. He doesn't just produce records or kind of you know show it show you where the dots and the and and and, and the check marks are supposed to go. He's somebody who 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 encourages you, who inspires you, who knows when to push you, who knows when to get good things, you know, when when you can do better. Um, who knows when not to? He know who knows what situation to put you in. Um, who understands what it's like for a singer because he himself 
is a singer and has had a successful singing career. Um, he's also somebody who who uh, was like an older brother, and it still remains that way to me. He's like a, uh, he's like the elder brother that I, that I never had, and so a lot of my life lessons and experiences have come through Trevor. We've we've been very close and remain very close till this day for the best part of 30 years now. It's been 30 years. Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful partnership and it's, you know, it's I mean, I just love it. Really you know, I, 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 there isn't anything I wouldn't do for him. Um, he's been, you know, we talk about it all the time. He's around here the other day and we talk about how, how, how much fun we had um, making those early records. It was awesome. And what, what are some of, you know, your favourite songs from, from those early records? I mean, obviously they're... Show Me, um, Fast Changes, um, Prayer for the Dying, Crazy. I remember the first time he pr he played me a mix of Crazy when I when I was still quite you know uh, I, I, I I I was quite suspicious of Trevor you know because he was the big producer in the High Castle you know and I you know and you hear all these things about how you know he he was this kind of creative genius which he is and he you know he would make you know he would take what you've done and kind of do this his own thing with it and you know and i quickly realized that that wasn't true you know he 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 he, he took what you you did it's almost like you gave him a half finished picture and he would just make the most illustrious picasso out of it but it would be your ideas somehow bigger than you ever dreamt they could be it blew my mind. I remember the first time Trevor played me a mix of six minute mix of crazy. It blew my mind. It was, it was amazing. He had me. That was it. And and that you know that that was a huge single. And obviously, Kiss Kiss from a Rose. And like when you first released Kiss from a Rose, you know it wasn't it it wasn't the smash that it later became. How was that? How, how did that feel? To sort of like like have that you know second life almost where it just literally turned into well it just taught, it taught me a, it taught me a great lesson you know that you that nobody really knows what a hit is they say they do but but no one really knows until it's a hit and love plays a part sometimes in which songs you know yeah. there's always going to be enough love. there to have hits love plays a part in it but you know as as someone famous one says said the more I practice the luckier I get yeah and so uh, uh, and so yes luck had a, a but in that it was kissed from a rose and let's say mm. you know could have been another track from the record that well it was never going to be another track from the would you just think record. that was just by far yeah, away was, the one well I mean it's not really a question of what I think I mean it's history is, is proven mm -hmm. it's it's I mean I listened to something some uh, somebody sent me something the, with these two nerds anoraks like analyzing Kiss from a Rose and it was fascinating because I've never really seen it like that but they were saying that it was genreless that it was one of those things that kind of it 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 uh, it, it created its own genre and it didn't fit into any other thing but it was its own thing I mean it was a waltz to begin with you know how many waltzes were, were, were hit records back in those days and so yeah. And so uh, it was always going to be that tr that song, you know. If you think back and you go, okay, yes, well, this happened. I mean, I had the great fortune of, of you know, of uh, 
of meeting Joel Schumacher, who put it in, the, in, in the, you know, had amazing foresight to put it in, in the movie. Um, and then I was managed by Cavallo at the time, Bob Cavallo, who was brilliant, you know, and, and had just amazing foresight to kind of, to put forth that song to Joel Schumacher when he asked for a, a song for the love theme for Batman. Um, and then there was, you know, there, there, there was Trevor's genius. You know, he, he, he spent hours, as he does with everything, but he, he meticulously went through that song to kind of make it, um, turn it into a, a, a record. Uh, there was my friend, you know, who sadly is no long, longer with us, uh, Paul Mavromatis. He uh, kept on telling Trevor, you know, Seal's got this Rose song, you should get him to play it to you. So I wouldn't play it to anyone. Yeah, and, and so you look at all of those things in the isolation, and then you go, okay, it's luck. But then you look at them as a collective, and you realise that it's it was it, 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 pardon? It's the quality of the song, the performance. Well, without yeah. that, there would none, none well, of those things. Re yeah, you realise that it was it was always going to be that that it wasn't necessarily that I wrote a great song. It was that. A, a, a really good song happened to exist. Whether I wrote it or not is it irrelevant. I mean, it kind of it found its way into the in, you know in, in, into into uh, in, you know into this in, into our, our dimension and and it you know it was just that song. It was it was always going to be that. And I, I mean, it was interesting that you mentioned. You know that, that those guys said it was the genreless man. Mm. So I, I often think, you know, when studying your back catalogue, I think it is all, you know, it is genre. There's lots, of, certainly lots of genres covered, and it's always given its unique spin. And actually, when I first got introduced to your music, it was tunes that I didn't know at the time were not from the initial period of success in the '90s. You know, stuff like Amazing. And from the, the seven record, every time I'm with you, and I actually thought when I listened to them, these will be from you know the, from the '90s. These these are going to be from from the, that that initial period of absolute smash success because they you know it, it, it's it's a very very consistent. And so um, you know what what I wanted to ask about that is you know are you pretty meticulous when it comes to make to making records? Because I've 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 heard I've heard about and and sort of yeah read about a lot of um, you know a lot a lot of work gets done on post production or um, and, and 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 you're you're very meticulous when you're in the studio and you really do just care quite a lot um, about the production of records. Is that is that something that's been throughout your career? Well, you know I I came to Trevor with with uh, a love. Of music, not necessarily a love of soul music or a love of rock music or a love of you know uh, dance music or n nothing specific. I just loved really great songs. Um, when Trevor and, and I met, I was listening to a lot of Crosby, Stills and Nash, and I just loved the way that they could fuse what seemed to be three different songs together to make one song, and and I loved the fact that there were they were there were no rules in in in, in that kind of uh, philosophical approach to making music what Trevor was brilliant is that he encouraged me he never shot any of those ideas down even when he didn't understand them to him it was just like it was a puzzle you know i, I described Trevor as being kind of you know he strikes me as 
has been one of those kids that were really good at doing puzzles. Trevor would look at it and go, ah, okay, I see. Okay, that's the top left edge, that's the top right, that's the bottom left, bottom right. Okay, ah, okay, that bit, that's the foliage over there. Okay, I'll put that. No, he was always really good at doing that. Um, you know, but sometimes he didn't know how he was going to start to do that. But, you know, when I would come to him with some latest harebrained idea, you know, um, like Deep Water was one of those songs where I just I got this idea, I want to put them all together. And, and he didn't really understand what I was doing, but he just let me do it. And then he figured it out. You know, he, he would... Um, and in terms of, uh, you know, being meticulous about making records, um, again, that came from my time in the studio with Trevor and 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 the the, the and I was talking about uh, my my roomie is um, uh, my dear friend Tim who you know we've been we've been friends and we've known each other for thirty years he's an, he's engineered all my records he worked with Trevor and under Trevor um, and so and we work together today and we had some musicians around here I think it was just yesterday you know some younger musicians and and we were talking to them about the studio and the process of making records and 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 you know they were just amazed at what we, what we were saying and I was saying that you know the studio was a place it, it was a sacred place it's not like it is today because well first first of all not a lot of great recording studios exist you know technology is such where uh, the, the, the industry has changed make it in your bedroom you can make it in your bedroom which I love by yeah. the way but back in that day um, you know the stu the studio was a, a sacred place you know it, that was a place where where you went and you were creating you know whilst everyone else was sleeping you were working through the night in this sacred place you were it's almost like you were working on this secret that everyone was going going to hear at some point you know studio time was money the engineer we were talking about uh, 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 Tim's um, experience in the studio. I mean, we say, look, you know, you weren't even allowed in the studio. You worked at, uh, on night reception, you know, and then after probably doing that for six to eight months, you know, you were allowed, in, depending on your temperament, you were allowed in the studio as the tea tea boy or the coffee maker. You would make coffee or tea, you know, and that you wouldn't. You'd spoke when you were, you'd speak when you were spoken to, and then. Eventually, and you know, this is back in the days of tape. You know, this this conversation came about because we were we were looking at um, we were talking about Bohemian Rhapsody. There was a YouTube video where Brian May was sitting with the engineer, and they brought up the uh, two inch of um, Bohemian Rhapsody, and we're going through the tracks. And we were talking about that, you know, to to these kids yesterday. We would say, well, you know, you'd 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 go from night reception to coffee maker. From coffee maker to tape up, you weren't even allowed at the desk. You were the tape up. You know there was a remote tape machine, uh, a remote control for the two-inch Studer, and you'd base it on the Ampex, and you'd, you'd kind of you'd be you'd, you'd you'd be in charge of stopping and starting. And you know if, when I was in the vocal booth, I'd be dropping in, and that's you know you'd be a tape up. And then eventually, maybe after about a year, a year and a half, you might be allowed at the desk to be an engineer, you know, depending if Trevor liked you. Work your way up. 
And and so and you know and, and there was never a moment, there was never a moment in, in you know during that period where I walked into the recording studio off the street at any time and not be able to sing within ten minutes. Like the studio was set up. Because as far as Trevor was concerned, the most vital, most essential part of the whole thing was getting the vocal. Getting the vocal he said, Oh, he used to he used to preach that into everyone that worked in the studio. Gotta be ready to get the vocal. It's the one thing I can't control. Everything else I can get, I can kind of, you know, the, the, the vocal, I, it's just, it's a mood thing, it's a vibe thing. If he wants to sing or if she wants to sing, right, we have got to be ready. Like, I don't want to be wasting time. Yeah. And so, and that was the kind of ethic that existed at some, you know, some studios in, in London. And that was, and so that ethic was instilled into me by Trevor, you know, that, you know, when we, the, the studio was a place of, you know, it was, a, it was a, it was a, a, a place that you were privileged to be in and, and making records in that studio, you, you made them with the, with the relative care and attention to detail. You know, you know, great records didn't sort of make themselves or they didn't happen overnight. Some, even the ones that said, oh, we recorded this in, you know, like a month or whatever, or what, yeah, somewhere, somebody along the line took a great, did a care and time. You know, great, great amount of like care and detail. Uh, and then it could have been in the writing process or, or it could have been in the arrangement or they cut it live. Yeah, you know, but but somebody has taken a, a great deal of care and attention to, to making records that withstand the, the test of time, whether it's the engineer, whether it's the producer, someone is doing that. And you're still, you know, singing better than ever. Oh, what, thank you. What do you do? Do you do anything to take care of your voice? Yeah, I, 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 I work with a great, uh, great friend and vocal coach, Rachel Black. She's amazing. And... Uh, you know, it's like anything else. You you know, you, it's like going to the gym. You still have to kind of watch your, watch what you eat, and you have to kind of, you know, you have to work at your your instrument, your craft. Cool. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Sue. And uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, it's thanks for these great, great insightful answers.